0: This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 59.
1: Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Goudreau.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 59 you're listening to, brought to you by our friends over at Gearsluts.com, Audio Technica, Focal Monitors, and Universal Audio. Yes, back once again for yet another interview with uh, a very interesting guest. This time we're going to have on Mr. Tarden Feathered. That's right, Tarden, T-A-R-D-O-N, Tarden Feathered. Yes, like Tarden Feathered. Uh, that's his name. Tardin Feathered is going to be on. Tardin runs Mr. Toads, uh, which if you're from the Bay Area, you are well aware of who Mr. Toads is and what they do. But if you're not, basically, uh, Mr. Toads is an analog and digital tape conversion company, and uh, they also do mastering. But a bulk of what Tardin does is take old, outdated uh, recordings on all different formats, not just old two-inch reels, but... uh, crazy type stuff that doesn't exist anymore and is outdated and that you can usually find uh, on eBay in terms of the machines. You can find those for like, you know, a hundred bucks, 50 bucks. Tardin's business model is basically taking these outdated formats and helping people resuscitate their tapes. If they're tapes uh, or whatever the media is and getting it into the digital world uh, generally at a high resolution and, uh, Yeah, he kind of saves old recordings that might otherwise not see the light of day. So, for example, uh, if you're familiar with Wolfgang's Vault, which is um, kind of a a storehouse of old recordings from the Bill Graham days of the Bay Area when uh, pretty much every concert that Bill Graham put on, I believe, was recorded. Most of them. I don't know if all of them. So they have a huge back catalog of all this material that was recorded, but it was all done on old formats that, you know, if uh, it weren't for Tarden these things probably would just die. So Tarden is responsible for that. And he's got a new facility in Vallejo, California. He moved from San Francisco. To, it's so typical San Francisco. He got, you know, a landlord who basically kind of rented the place from underneath him. And uh it's just, yeah. This is a little lame situation. But Tartan, of course, has uh, rebounded in Vallejo, California. He's got a big, uh, I believe it's, he said, 5,000 square foot space that he's operating out of. And so we got that coming up. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, you could see a little bit of his facility uh, on our YouTube channel. So that's going to be coming up. Uh, sitting here in a pile of business cards, just business card after business card after business card. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the reason I have all these cards sitting here is because uh, this is leftover from Nam. just me uh, kind of catching up with people I met, uh, hipping them to the show, uh, talking to uh, potential future sponsors, and also uh, cards from uh, other engineers who might be guests on the show, which is pretty cool. So I, I, as I st- sit here staring at these cards, I just think, yeah, I thought – to some degree, maybe it's because I haven't printed up cards in ages. I wonder if all of you, do you continue to print up cards? I printed up cards just for the Nam show, but it it's it's been ages since I've done it. And uh, yeah, it's puzzling. puzzling in the sense of I know I'm gonna type this information into the contacts in my computer and then whew, these are gone. These are gonna be just, you know, recycled, recycled something. So, I don't know. I'm always curious. Is there a better way to do this whole, you know, exchange of information? I don't know. The card is fast. It's analog. It's, it's right there. It's, I have it. And then I can put it in my wallet and, uh, you know, contact people after the fact. So interesting. Just, uh, yeah, just thinking about that cards. Uh, anyhow, uh, you might see also, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, you see, I'm wearing a little working class audio gear, courtesy of my sister, who does digital embroidery. Yeah. Very cool. So, uh, we gave away some, uh, hats, uh, to Jeremy Thomas and Anthony. Those are the first three folks that responded to my uh, last show, uh, with Jim Scott, where I said, Hey, if you ping me on Facebook, I'll send you a hat. So I did that. So hopefully, uh, those guys should be getting their hats anytime in the next week, I hope, or hopefully they've already gotten their hats and, uh, we'll wear them with pride. So uh, yeah, we'll get some more stuff uh, as far as uh, WCA hats and stuff going on. I tried the t-shirt thing, but honestly, that just didn't work. People really weren't all that interested, to be honest with you. So fortunately, I did it through Teespring. I got a shirt out of it. Maybe some of you got a shirt out of it. But uh, yeah, the response was not what I was expecting. I I thought more people would like that, but no go on that. So uh, hats. People seem to like hats and uh, hoodies, of course. This is, a, this is kind of a test case of what the hoodie would be. Very high quality. And I'm hoping that uh, I can work a deal out with my sister to where we can get these for a price that we can sell them at so that it's not, you know, like way too much money for a hoodie. Got to figure all that out. It's not not my specialty to sell merchandise like this. But uh, yeah, we'll get something out to you at some point. But that's about it. Uh, Not too much going on. Um, Still contemplating what I'm going to do with my space here in the next few months. Talking to some people about some ideas. Really like this reclaimed wood idea that they have over at Tiny Telephone. I might do that in here. Who knows? Anyways, let's get to Tardin Feathered. Uh, Coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast live from uh, Tardin's studio in Vallejo, California. Here it is, Tardin Feathered on the Working Class Audio Podcast. So this is Verna? Verna. Verna. We call her V. I'm here with Tardin of Mr. Toads. And Verna. Thanks, man. Thanks for having hey, us over. So let's talk about right now, we're in Vallejo, California, which is about, was about 30 minutes away from me in Lafayette, and Lafayette's about 20, 30 minutes away
1: from San Francisco. So give the, or take... All what, depends you know. on traffic.
0: All depends on traffic. Somewhere
1: between 30 Verano. minutes and two hours.
0: Yeah, yeah, depending on what's going on. It's, it's hell out here if you have to commute. Where are we? What is this building?
1: Uh former appliance store. I wasn't looking for retail when I had to move out of the city, but eventually it became obvious that, uh, that there was lots of retail space in Vallejo. Mm. A heck of a lot more inexpensive than the, uh, than the industrial space. Because there's people doing a lot of industry here. But there isn't a lot of retail. So
0: did you look for an in industrial space and then realize, oh, wait, maybe I should be yeah, looking at I, retail? Yeah, I gave up
1: on the, re- the industrial space even here. When I had to move out of the city, you, you know, I mean, what a nightmare. You know, you start by checking out Emeryville. You look at Oakland. You look at Richmond. You go, OK, these are all the spots where I see, you know, industrial space, which is what I'm used to. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, my God, the prices over here. And you go. I'm not. Oh, let me see what I can find a little further out. And then you arrive in Vallejo, and it's this bizarre oasis of like going into the past. Yeah,
0: it's it has almost like an old Los Angeles feel as it we really go, drive does down with those the big road. old
1: Victorian, like old homes, not San Francisco Victorians, but those big old six bedroom things you used to find in L.A. So, um, like from a price per square foot
0: uh, comparison, say San Francisco to Vallejo, like what? What kind of a difference are we looking at, roughly?
1: Uh, Can't even put that into real meaningful terms. Yeah. It was, my space got leased out from under me in the city at about $4 a square foot per month. And this isn't even 75 cents a foot per month. Wow. So how many square feet do you have here? 4,000. Got 2,500 in front and 1,500 in the back building. Fantastic. And the back building is the one that will ideally turn into the recording studio that because that's a, a standalone building back there this would be i'd like to think i'm going to put a mastering room and maybe a coffee shop in here something that kind of allows me to be a lot more social going okay forward because i i miss the 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 last incarnation of mr toads was so serious i miss uh the social interaction of music you know, yeah i'm i'm now mr empirical and you know making sure everything gets transferred properly and doing mastering, and it's also serious. So, so tell,
0: for, the, for the people that don't know, your primary source of income and your primary business at this point in time is transfers. Is that correct or accurate? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, restoration is, is kind of my niche at this point. Okay. So I, you know, just plug ahead. I like to think I can play anything or know somebody who can play it if I can't. Right. But I still love mastering, mastering and, and manipulating audio is, you know, far higher on my interest list than, uh, than simply just being accurate when I transfer tape, but I'm good at it, and I can make tape play, so...
0: If you look behind us, I mean, we see, you know, some half-inch 16-track, uh, half-inch or quarter-inch 8-track, that's a TSR-8, various old modular digital multi-tracks from Alesis and Tascam. Uh, I see
1: 8-track cassettes. Outboard, DBX, Outboard, Dolby, a, you know, ABC. Yeah,
0: I mean, you 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 have it all, really. So if somebody has an outdated format, they can come to you, and it's probably a 99.9% probability that you can take care of them for transferring that old format. Or tell them where it can get done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can do that. There's, there's a lot of tape decks I haven't acquired yet, but that's simply because somebody else owns it. And, you know, they're currently taking all that work. And, you know, I'd have to prize it away from them at, at over market value. So mm-hmm. I'd just rather refer it to them. And we've got mutual admiration societies going. I give them referrals, they give me referrals, it works fine.
0: Yeah, you've done some pretty major stuff. I think you've done some uh, work for Wolfgang's Vault, is that correct? Did the whole Wolfgang's Vault archive, yeah. And that encompassed, for those that don't live in the Bay Area, what does that encompass?
1: That was about 2,500 concerts that Bill Graham recorded between, I think, 65, starting with Muddy Waters, and I think the last one was actually 94, Nirvana. Huh. So... So right in between those two bookends. And
0: all on various formats.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He did. We didn't end up doing the video, but we did the entire audio archive. And, yeah, that was, frankly, either whatever Bill had acquired that he was using that was top of the line so he could do multi-track or just whatever the heck was going on in the house, some crappy tape recorder. A lot of, you know, half of it was... Just a mishmash of success and failure. And the other half was pristine and beautiful like that 1970 Who doing Tommy for the last time recording that I believe they finally put up online with the video. They actually had video and it was nearly perfect. I just love that one.
0: And to capture that, you have a variety of converters or do you kind of stick to one brand or type? I've got
1: two, two basic converter brands I use here, the Mytex and the Crane Song. Okay.
0: We were talking earlier as as we were setting up and I walked in and you said your past, just kind of touching back on this so we can kind of put this into perspective, you used to be an elevator repair guy. Is
1: that right? That was that was after I was a shipbuilder. After you were a shipbuilder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now we're really I'm getting always deep. very working class. I really like building things. That's why I like building studios, I think. That's that's why the the challenge of When I had to move out of the city, I didn't feel like just turning into a small room with just this transfer gear. I wanted to keep the studio and add the studio back. I love building.
0: So that that experience of being an elevator repair person uh, works in this department because there's a lot of mechanical things that you have to keep functioning over time.
1: Elevators and, and tape decks are really fairly similar if you think about it. You know, the, an elevator linearly goes up and down and tape linearly goes this way across a deck. So a lot of very similar precise uh, controls and adjustments that need to go on to keep it working. A lot of that makes sense to me because it's so similar to what I do. So I can, I can keep a lot of basic maintenance going on here, but, you know, I don't know anything about audio circuitry. So that's where Michael Gore stepped in. So he, he kind of complements
0: the mechanical side of your brain and helps keep all this
1: running over the long term. Basically, he gets it when I'm kind of out of ideas or if it's an audio circuit, which I really know nothing about. I'm, I'm good with capacitors at starting motors and controlling things, but what they do in audio circuitry, I barely understand. How long have you been doing this, this transfer business? I think we decided... It was after the dot bomb. It was basically in 2001 when we had just spent the 90s. We had like three studios going. Mr. Toads was a big bustling kind of gigantic warehouse thing with 12 employees. And when the dot bomb finally cleared out, you know, there was nothing left. And we could see that everybody who had survived was buying a Pro Tools rig rather than coming back to Mm -hmm. do some recording. We were doing a lot more mastering and making CDs and, yeah, we were the CD kings, you know, for a couple of years around here. Oh, my God, was that boring. I mean, I hate making <laughs> CDs. It's just like widgets. And, you know, 99 jobs would come back perfect and people would go, hey, exactly what I expected. The one would come back, you know, with some flaw and it would be like, you've ruined my dream. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So you're, ups, you're upsetting since, Verna with that. Yeah, she doesn't like it when I get upset. She's actually really good at, at that. It's, she, like, I, if if I say the f word, she gets offended. So wow. I I can't even like get mad at myself. Interesting. I know. Come on, give me a hug. I know you'll feel better.
0: When you got into this, like, what mm-hmm. what were some of the stumbling things that happened? Like just early like mistakes or lessons that you learned? Like, oh, okay, well, this is. Oh, I guess I'm not going to do. Well, it like I mean, that. I,
1: I I get scolded on a regular basis. I, I, it doesn't matter how hard I work and how go, good I get. I can still be. Man, did I make a bad mistake? Just a couple of months ago, I, we were doing these um, surround eight tracks for the band America. Mm-hmm. So of course I, I pull them out of the shell because you know nobody needs to transfer it on eight track player. I've got a Michael Gore built me a custom quarter inch eight track out of two MTR tens. So I pull it out of the shell. To pull this off, and I have to do that horrible hand whine because it's this bizarre loop and everything gets all tangled on itself. And you put it all back together and you splice it up, and then you realize you put the splice on the wrong side of the tape, right in the middle of the music. <laughs> and it's, it's like you couldn't shoot yourself in the foot any worse. But that's because that's one of those tape formats where the, it's weird. The tape face is out. Yeah. You know, it's just, you got to remember which side the media is actually on.
0: So, I'm sure you run into a lot of uh, situations with media or, me- or mediums that you're, you have to stop and think clearly, like, okay, this isn't like it was done in the 90s. We have to go back to this era, this type of machine, and you can't assume anything. You have to be very careful. And-
1: I'm working with tape, essentially. Yeah. And at this point, you have to, that, that piece of tape doesn't go into the machine until you know the tape is perfect and you know the machine is perfect. The first thing, it's all in the prep. Anybody who is, you've got to bake tapes, period. Anything over 10 years old. Anybody who's scared of that term just doesn't understand what tape baking is. Can you
0: lay that out for like, because we have a lot of students that actually listen to the show. So can you explain tape baking? Well,
1: it you know, baking, it's kind of a dramatic term because it really sounds like we're going to infuse it with some serious heat. Uh, In reality, we generally use little food dehydrators, which conveniently are shaped just like reels. It's almost like somebody designed them for baking tapes. If you don't put the wrong kind of tape in there, it's really crucial. You do understand what you're doing if you try and bake a tape. If it's a polyester tape, you can bake it. If it's an acetate tape, you're just going to make it self-combust, you know, spontaneously combust or melt. So you got to be able to tell how the, what tape is what. If you can hold it up to the light and see through it sideways, it's on film stock. That's on acetate. You can't bake that. You just got to give that your best shot. See how that is. Uh, Sometimes you have to rehydrate those because they've dried out and become brittle. And you can do that just like you might with a bag of weed or something. Just throw a (laughs) lemon peel in there, thing like that. Just try and slowly get it. I think I just learned something today. (laughs) Just get it to kind of (laughs) get more life back in there. Okay. So, but basically, you should bake any tape that's over 10 years old just to make sure it's playing as well as it can. Stock formula for anything is 120 at about 12 hours, and you're not going to hurt anything. You can't hurt it unless it's acetate. Even at acetate at 120, you're not going to hurt it probably, uh-huh. but it will warp. Um, but you wouldn't destroy it. So, But just bake it, because you get this whole layer of surface distortion that affects the audio signal well before you actually see any shed. And people don't understand that. They think baking is a cure for visible shed. But really what it is is a chance to put the tape back to as close to original condition as possible. Okay.
0: So in the tape baking process, is it... a, a very low level amount of heat for a, uh, an extended period of yeah, time? Yeah,
1: 120, 120 for 12 hours should do it. I mean, that's your basic formula. You, you can get past that. Uh, to be honest, you can push, you just kind of work it till it takes up and plays right. Uh, the longest and the hottest I've ever had to do anything is maybe two weeks at one, almost 140. Two weeks, Yeah, and it magically took up at the end of that two weeks. I was just kind of letting it ride to see if it would go, come back. That was some Uh, AGFA 468 and 469, which I have to say is, is, I see it and I quake in fear.
0: So I'm sure you've developed kind of a deep knowledge of what tape formulas are really Uh great. Yeah,
1: strangely, I really, I understand every tape formula, what was good, what was bad. And, you know, the, the funny thing is there's nothing more stable than a roll of Radio Shack concert tape. They just didn't try to make anything special. It's the the more special you tried to make your tape, the more oxide you put on there, the more glue to get a hotter signal. The harder you tried, the more flawed the tape is. Radio Shack concert tape. Can't go wrong. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But don't go anywhere near Memorex. Interesting. Maxell is pretty bad, too. But, I mean, you know, I could just give you an opinion of every single tape I've encountered because I see them all. Some of the common tape companies out there that
0: we've seen pass by, Ampex, Quantigi, even some of the newer tape formulas, um, and do frankly, you have any favorites out of that? Oh, favorites? Well... of the Like, say, a two-inch reel of tape, what, what, was, a, what was a good... What are we
1: talking about? Currently available tapes or... No, no, kind from of tape, the past?
0: tapes from the past.
1: You know, Scotch really had something going. The 996? No, before the 996. The 250, 226, okay. 206, 209. That, that, they really had something going. I loved that era of tape. I'm not really sure what all the fuss about 456 is. It's it, very irony, you know, to me. I, I get a kind of big, robust brown sound out of it. I, I do a lot of associating sound with colors. Okay um 499, four, nine, nine, i i think is just lame i just don't like the sound of 499 nine at all and what, gp9 i think is well, great and
0: are you're talking sound right
1: yeah and i'm and i think what i'm referring to
0: in, in is is the baking side of it is what tapes have fa- like just consistently
1: formulas oh, that just it has to do with age and storage there's okay. you can't you can't just hold any of them over the fire and say you're bad except maybe okay, agfa okay. i i think that 468 and 469 is just so if it wasn't stored perfectly, it disintegrates like you can't believe.
0: Do you have any victory uh, stories that have, like, you know, somebody that stored something in the most horrendous conditions and you were able to completely save it?
1: I actually just had some of the the some of the toughest restoration I've had to do just in the last week here. Um, a bunch of 24-track reels from a reasonably famous bass player whose name I'm not a did you mentioned. Okay. Um, Uh, the history of rock and roll there and his archive had you know clearly not been stored well it was covered in mold it was very seat of the pants actually incredibly stressful watching that stuff go by as as you're watching little sheds go fly off flakes go fly off in the shedding process it's that was a case where it was only going to come back so far because there was so much edge damage from the moisture in the mold wow so do
0: you ever do any um say post production like isotope stuff or cedar stuff on the back I, end and I kind
1: of, I do if I'm hired to finish the project, but most of the time I am just the conversion engineer. Just a straight transfer. Yeah. So my most of the time my job is simply what people need from me, which is I have this reel, I wanna work it. You know, I, I tend to be more of a wholesaler to recording studios than I am working with in user clients. Mm-hmm. You know, so my job And I much prefer it, you know, because I can just go, okay, this shouldn't be any trouble, this is what I think it'll cost, and just tell me what sample rate you want. You know, everybody else, I have to hold their hand for, you know, a month after the job. And, you know, I don't... (laughs) I Like people who just say, even some artist who has an archive of their performances over the years, I just want to hand back a bunch of digital files. I don't want to sit here and make you CDs all day long. I mean, I've got to charge you for that, and it's frankly... A lot of labor, yeah, and you, then at the same time, these people can't interface with me. So I, I routinely try and well, I am not a retail operation, right? I just I try and send those people. I try and scare them away. Go, <laughs> well, if you got somebody who can help you,
0: what about the machines themselves? Now sourcing the machines, and we already talked a little bit about the upkeep. Are you always kind of on the lookout for low cost machines I,
1: to acquire? I am Wally. You are Wally. uh-huh I'm always on the lookout. It doesn't matter what condition it's in. it comes back, it gets parted out, it goes into those little cubby holes, and the next time something breaks, it comes out of those cubby holes, and if I don't have the right piece, i you know few go together. It's almost post apocalyptic now, you know it's like you're you're starting to clutch these things together from uh
0: so it's not hoarding it's Wally. it's resourceful hoarding yes
1: it's it's I have a job, I have a task, okay. The task is to keep these running for as long as possible.
0: I assume you scour the same place as everybody else does.
1: At this point, you know, half I'm either, well, not this year. I mean, this year I've got a pretty clear task. You know, I'm I'm building. I'm not really, I, my entire budget is about building. It's mm-hmm. not about acquiring any equipment this year. And I don't have too much I need. It's kind of sad watching things go by on, you know, eBay and things like that, you know, that I wish I could kind of get in on. But Um, I can't just collect forever. I've Mm -hmm. certainly got a... a I have a bag of tricks that's pretty darn deep at this point. So
0: Mm -hmm. So we've been talking about tape machines mostly, and obviously that extends into modular digital multitracks, DAP machines, cassette. But you also tend to collect or at least have setups uh, for older computer setups, is that correct? Like going back to say like Mac OS 9. I know, I do.
1: I'll support people with um, older... It it came out of trying to restore retrospect backups for people, you know, basically music backups. Yep. And uh, you realize... Wow, what folly that whole concept was, backing up your software using anything proprietary, or backing up your project using anything proprietary. But even the concept of bringing back a Pro Tools project from 10 years ago is ludicrous. I mean... Mm-hmm. From,
0: say, a retrospect
1: backup? Period. Just even from a Pro Tools session. I mean, I personally have had success
0: with that. I had a DVD RAM disc and was able to bring back a 10-year-old Pro Tools session off of that.
1: It's so complicated. I see what people go through, and then they wind up with uh, about 3,000 Unix executable files that they've got to (laughs) figure out what they all are. Right. Because nothing makes sense anymore because one thing doesn't launch. And they're t- stuff, stuck putting this together. So, but yeah, I'll, I'll build anybody a, a little OS 9 machine or whatever they need, a little custom interface, especially for, say, SCSI transfers. Uh, people need those all the time. People who add backups. I don't want to do those backups for them because then I'm the one who's got to make sure they do, they're right. I'll just go, no, I'll build you a rig you do it
0: interesting so do you or do you stay on the lookout for old os discs or old software that yeah generally people would toss I, out i was
1: really lucky to have a staff who was really compulsively organized and wouldn't let me throw any of that stuff away over the years so wow it's all neatly labeled alphabetized bagged i can usually go back to any version of an os i need and just pull it out thanks mark thanks marvin Interesting.
0: Prior to this place in Vallejo, you were in San Francisco with the same operation. Even going back further, when we originally met, you were running like, it was like a beehive, really. It was a studio that was a recording studio. You were doing the CD duplication. I, I brought a band to you to do CD duplication. Then I'm-
1: Video production. Jeez, we'd do it all. The worst was an entire winter spent putting granny clothes on grandma mannequins and doing virtual 3D, 3D... Uh, mannequin models you know like we would just do whatever digital media at the time anybody needed and some of that was in the 90s where there was a lot of a lot of things going on like cd-roms multimedia 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 gulch, multimedia gulch. that's yeah, where we were that's they right they used to call that now now it's they, i think Everybody's forgotten. They used to call South Market Multimedia Gulch. What led you, uh, I want to kind of touch on the
0: your elevator repairing background. You were in an accident, if I recall correctly, where you had a back injury. Is that correct?
1: Ah, uh, neck injury. Yeah. Neck injury. Okay. I had a part get dropped on me. How heavy a part are we talking? Oh, almost 900 pounds. Okay.
0: Wow. Now uh, I was
1: lucky that it fell over <clears throat> and... Kind of went this way and hit the side of the shaft. It was the jack, actually. Wow. So, yeah, it was uh, a pretty abrupt uh, end to that career.
0: Were you into recording at the time of? Yeah. That okay. was
1: recording was my my little home hobby. I wasn't much of a musician, but I loved to hang with all my musician friends. And this was the easy way. Interesting.
0: So that, that almost kind of saved you, really, in terms of or at a least, source of uh, income.
1: pretty good lemonade came out of them lemons. I would say so. At least uh, 25 years later, you know, I'm still at it. And a shipbuilder? Uh, yeah, I was actually born on the bay here, like at on the bay. Like yeah. on an old dismasted schooner we lived out off the, uh, you know, where the Spinnaker restaurant is in Sausalito. I don't. So anyway, it's like out in that bay between Sausalito and Belvedere. Jeez, barely came ashore by like, what, eight years old or something? So like, you know, I've, I've always been really good with boats. I could fix a boat by the time I was 10, so it... It always made perfect sense to me. And when I had a chance to go learn how to build ships, I jumped at it and spent three years in the north of England on the River Tyne learning shipbuilding in a place where now there are no shipyards left. Now, none. They Actually, the last one, they sold to a company in India and they came and dismantled the entire shipyard and put it on ships and took it to to India and rebuilt the entire shipyard so I could go to India and see the old shipyard just exactly as it was. Wow. How's that for, like, that makes economic sense to somebody? I guess so. Well I did. I love learning and doing, being in the north of England and building ships. Wow, that's an, an amazing And I had coal <laughs> miner friends, and they were doing that coal miners strike in the, late, in the early 80s with um, taking on Maggie Thatcher, and it was, they lost. They lost so horribly. Every single one of them lost their jobs. It was a horrible time, a horrible thing to see.
0: Wow, a, a very a real working class background that
1: you've come I, from. strangely not. I mean, I was my dad always wanted me to be a lawyer. Right. I but, wanted if, nothing but I mean to you're, do with it. But but I mean
0: your your work path.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm 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 a very I've always actually if anything I've back in the say 70s and 80s when I used to look and see just these incredible opportunities I had kind of gifted to me because I was middle class and white here in California uh, it made me feel guilty. I mean, not that I didn't want to pursue those, but I had no interest in, in pursuing the financial, the legal, the computer world. I, music called my name on a spiritual level and getting my hands dirty, like made me happy on a daily basis. And that's the direction I went. Hmm. I was messing around with computers in college, you know, in the early 80s, if I'd, you know, had any hint of what, where that was going, geez, I'd be a Silicon Valley asshole by now.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think I think this worked out for the better that you're not a Silicon I'm, Valley asshole. I'm really asshole.
1: happy because I like to be useful. In fact, that's the only basis by which I gauge my life is I'm a utilitarian. Like, am I being useful? Am I contributing something positive to society? And that's all I'll ever ask of myself. I
0: think the answer to that is yes. I mean, this business of of these transfers, I mean, you're definitely keeping keeping music alive that might not otherwise find its way into the
1: hands of somebody who doesn't maybe care as much. I hate Uh, watching things fall out the bottom. I hate watching things get forgotten about. Yeah. It's the same with people. Actually, it's one reason I, I was so happy down by the railroad tracks in San Francisco because... There were a lot of people struggling to pick up their lives down there. That's where the homeless would accumulate. I, I, When I left the city, I I said goodbye to many more homeless friends than actual... Friend friends. Friend friends, because I saw them on a daily basis. And here in Vallejo, same thing. It's uh, I, I'd be in a life of social work if I wasn't doing this. So I'm happy. I get to meet all these people, and uh, if I can share something with them that makes them have their life a little better, I, I will and do. And just I like to be useful it's my whole existence
0: with regards to mastering because i see a mastering setup over there
1: mm-hmm.
0: do you get a lot of mastering work or do you mostly get transfer
1: i work? i'm not pitching the mastering right now i i keep my like my favorite clients i'm just finishing up a new uh, album for fat right now just finished the new punk's gone mild record the acoustic punk yeah um but yeah no it's uh i've got good clients who i still love to do i, I It's my favorite thing in the world, and I'm probably better at it than anything else. I can move things around sonically like I never thought I'd be able to, or spatially. Mm -hmm. Especially compressors, spending so many years now just understanding every aspect of compression. It's really a joy to do that kind of work. So I love mastering.
0: And as far as the future of this building, you're talking about building a studio back up again, not necessarily for commercial reasons, though, more for having a place to do that.
1: Right. Well, for me, I mean, you know, I never was much of a musician, but that doesn't mean I don't like to play and make and record music. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that has always been part of my drive to do this is that I also needed to be able to make it so that I could also get that outlet. And if I don't get that outlet, well, then... It's not doing everything it can for me. Mm-hmm. So um, at this point, I just had the luxury of buying an insanely great mixing console, Atari's 50, Series 54, basically the descendant of an API with the big old three inch VUs and sweet EQs, nice pre's, just, just very functional. And it was scrap and nobody wanted it. You know, 10000 bucks worth of work on it later, it's now back to as good a condition it was as it was when it was a $200,000 console 20 years ago. Hmm. And I am so looking forward to getting back to a console. I'm so tired of, of digital menus. Uh, I like one button, one function. Just grab it and go.
0: And who did that work for
1: you? That was Michael Gore. Oh, Michael Gore. Bay okay. Area Studio Engineering. We couldn't survive without him here in the Bay Area.
0: Yeah, you said when I walked in the door, something to the effect of, this is a lot cooler
1: place than most people realize. Yeah, it's something on the to... water. Like here, you can, be, you can be poor and get to the waterfront. Yeah. And that's not going to last for long. You, you have to understand what happened to Vallejo, which was it was a Navy town with a gigantic Navy base on this island right off the coast of it called Mare Island. And now Mare Island is seriously abandoned. There's not even windows and doors out there, just walls and some roofs. But it's a town in search of a business proposition. It's got, it's one bridge too far, it's got no BART, and it used to be a company town. It used to be a Navy town. And so what you've got is you've got lots of retail, some industrial, lots of houses Nobody in the retail. So that's why the artists have taken over all the storefront down in Old Town. So every storefront is a little art studio. Aren't the refineries somewhat close by? Yeah, but the refineries are, are either down in Rodeo, okay. over in Martinez, over in Benicia. Okay. So they're not here. And prevailing winds, of course, come from, we're not Texaco. We're not in danger of ever being in a shelter or, you know, Richmond with the right. Texaco or Chevron. Um, where you've got a shelter in place after a disaster, because they're all that way. So no, it's it's kind of, uh, that's why gas is so cheap here, two and a quarter.
0: (laughs) Wow, that is cheap here. It is, it's pretty great. The music business is filled with a lot of people who have a lot of passion, a lot of talent, but not always a lot of business sense. Do you feel like you have that business sense and you've really done a good job
1: of bringing in income, no. holding on to it. No, I'm, I'm wising up. Yeah. I'm learning. I, but I mean, I had no business since when I was running Mr. Toads in the nineties, it was let's have fun. Yeah. Let's try to, to expand and like hit every, like take every possible chance we can to like make a hit or this. I was always rolling the dice, spending far too much money. And cause everybody who worked at Mr. Toads was my friend Right. I always had one staff or too many because I was never going to ever be laying people off, you know, as we came back down after the, the kind of dot bomb. And well, by 2004, we were 12 people, but then everything fell apart kind of rapidly as the music industry fell apart. So, yeah, you have to assume it's a labor of love. You're not in this for money, especially with the, the I mean, we have now hit the official demarcator of the next generation of of distribution. The Beatles are on streaming. I mean, the CD was official when the Beatles went to CD. So now streaming's official. Now the Beatles are on streaming. So if that isn't your, isn't going to work for you as a revenue stream combined with whatever you're doing live and merch, you got no hope. I mean, it's, it's a really complicated time in this business. And yeah, I can't believe that we've even gotten to this where you can't sell You can't barely even sell vinyl anymore. I mean, it was really hip and cool four years ago, but now it's almost passe, especially the prices on for for vinyl. Oh, yeah. People are like, 40 bucks. Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah turntable sales are are definitely up, and there's you know every time I don't know every time I seem to get on facebook there's a there's an ad targeting me for like you know
1: yeah but there's uh, no turntables. new pressing equipment there's a global capacity of like eight million pieces mm-hmm. they're running around the clock right now, and every time a major label wants to get in the picture, they'll go right to the head of the queue they're they've got a nearly six month turn mm. at numerous manufacturing plants. <laughs> what independent bank can can wait six months from the day they finish their record to the day they can productize their right. record. You can't. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I do hear could, that
0: Jack White is opening up a pressing plant in Nashville. That's the that's kind of a rumor. That sure, I but
1: there's still no new gear. Yeah, there's no new pressing, no new stampers, there's no new pressing, no new presses. Yeah. So you can, but they're basically at globally we're at, at capacity right now, and and it's a, it's going to remain a boutique. Item. It really is, I just look at vinyl as something that can be sold that isn't a CD. And until there's another format that comes along, if ever, vinyl is going to have its niche. I mean, vinyl will, may never shrink again. It'll always put out that 8 million So obviously
0: that, that impacts you to some degree with the transfers, because if people look at, okay, it's going to cost us this much to transfer this product and it's really not going to sell that much and will make a few cents on streaming, maybe people abandon the idea? No,
1: I I can't say when, you know, not with me, maybe with the kids making a new record, and not with me, not with, you know, something that has existed for 30 years. You've probably got some reason to bring it back, either vanity, like I was in a band, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're just going to mix it just because you want to hear your high school band again or your college band and frankly, you're going to hear it a lot better than you did back in the original mixes because you're going to take your time and you've got Pro Tools and you clean it all up and it's going to be much better. It routinely is across the board. I mean, plus, you know, with the techniques I've got for pulling things off tape decks now, I mean, I'm getting better signals than anybody ever heard. Mm-hmm. Over here, you know, I'm pulling right out of the tape heads. You see, I've, I don't even have electronics. I have a computer controlling my ATR-102. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, so for me, you know, if somebody's got some old reels, they're they're either obviously going to make them some money or they're going to obviously make them happy. It's There's really no... There isn't a lot where people go, hmm, no, the cost of doing those transfers is so high that I'm not going to do it with me. I usually Hmm. don't get that. If they approach me... Somebody does the job.
0: I have to ask you the because people always ask me when I bring up your name. Tell me, tell me what the source of your name
1: uh, and, and uh, how that okay. all came about. Okay, definitively. So that I can just tell people from, from here on from here out, on out. Right. I can just say, go watch Matt's podcast. Right. Go, go listen to podcasts. 42 to minutes the into the podcast, you're going to hear the answer. And I'm never going to tell it again. It was um, so back in 1980, long, long time ago. Yes, punk rock. Changed my life. Okay. Bad punk rock knock knock jokes, of course, were all the rage back then, which is how you get something like tardin tardin Who, tardin Feathered. Um, but the best part was I found myself dropping in at a friend's uh dorm room over spring break, uh down at Stanford. He was going to Stanford. And I dropped in over spring break because he said, oh, yeah, my roommate had to go home. Um, his mom got sick. He had to leave school. So drop on by. You can visit me on your way back or on your way past. So then everybody came back from spring break, and I realized everybody thought I was the new student, including the RAs. I don't know how they fell for that, but everybody thought I was a brand new student. This was too good to pass up. So I camped out at Stanford for that quarter, um, but we realized nobody could know my name because I couldn't get busted. So, well... You know, we just thought up all the silly names. And I got to give my buddy Larry credit for this one. Well, we were trying all all the stupid knock-knock jokes, you know, because it was punk rock. And he came up with that one. And uh, frankly, I couldn't even say it. Just try getting spitting that out as your name for the first time. Right. It's like, hard. You know, it's like... Or didn't even know for sure how to pronounce that word. But he stood up on the actual cafeteria table in the middle of the cafeteria, shushed the whole cafeteria and introduced me to everybody in the cafeteria as Tardin. <laughs> because we had to get my cover really established rapidly. Right. Hey, everybody. Hey. This is Tardin. Yeah. So I was the new student, you know. I was So that was it. So after that, it was like, so what kind of name is that? And I'm like, I can't even pronounce it yet. You know, (laughs) so, so you, you. well, then I thought it was over. Then I left, you know, they went to finals. I split, I went home. Larry was a friend from, of of mine from high school. So uh, I was working at a gas station. He came back, told everybody at the gas station, everybody thought it was hilarious. I couldn't quite live it down there. Um, I decided I was going to go to uh, UC Irvine that next year. So I went to UCI and I walked into the radio station and said, hey, I'm here to do radio. My given name is Michael. So I go, well, Mike. And they go, Oh, gosh, we've already got four mics. Can you be anything else? now Well, my friends call me Tardin. Tardin it is. <laughs> and Tardin Feathered
0: became your radio name there, or was the feathered part? That's,
1: yeah, it was just part of the fun, you know?
0: Well, on that note, Mr. Tardin Feathered, my friend, it's really good to see you. It's great to see you set up shop here and continue a very important part of our business. I think thanks for having us. Sure. All right, there it is. Our interview with Tarden Feathered of Mr. Toads in Vallejo, California. I hope you enjoyed that. It's very interesting to walk around his building and see all the different old pieces of gear that he has that you think, ah, I remember that. or I remember that. And oh, people still use that or people still have tapes of that type. It's very, very fascinating. Uh, So thanks again to Tarden um want to hit you to something cool i'm going to put up on the wca recommends page it's from our friends at audio technica it's an app for the iphone or the ipad and basically it's the audio technica installed sound support app and it uh, comes with the following functions Uh, it comes with a rta with spl display rf frequency finder for audio technica wireless products by us zip code Wavelength calculator, needed mic gain calculator, recording playback of microphone test signals, mic placement guide using the three-to-one rule, and uh, product application guide for AT products. So, uh, you know, maybe you're out in the field. This could help you. Seems to be uh, getting some nice reviews there on the uh, store. Not sure if they're going to come out with an Android version of that being an android user i I sure would appreciate that i think that would be pretty cool but yeah we'll put that up on the wca recommends page for you to download and check out for yourself that's it for us today we are out of time and there's our music by our friend cliff thanks cliff thank you chuck smith for your voice at the front and thank you cole williams for your help with social media and audio support i want to thank our sponsors gear sluts ua audio technica and focal monitors i want to thank you all for listening spread the word take care